There is a way you can sell a company without actually owning it. This is the area that gets into danger zone. This is called a naked short. More jargon here. That sounds like the wrong thing to do at the beach. Go naked shorts. Um, But that's not what it means. It means that you borrowed the shares of the company so that you could sell it without owning it. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else close the wall up with our English dead. Good morning again, ladies and gentlemen, and boys and girls. See, I I committed on that one. You did. I'm glad, finally. Uh, This is another at least semi-exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach. Uh, It is exciting for those of us behind the microphones. You have too many caveats. Yes. Uh, well, I mean, we're economists. You can't make a, a whole sentence without saying on the other hand. But some, on the other hand, some economists are... Wait, I just did it again. Dope. That's right. Um, yes. So this is the Personal Wealth Coach. We've got an exciting lineup on today's program. We're going to be talking about all kinds of strangenesses in the market this week. Uh, hopefully it will be exciting. Uh, But before we get to that, we get to talk to you about who we are and what we do and the disclaimers and disclosures to help protect the public. So this is not only the name of a radio program, The Personal Wealth Coach. It's also the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm that gives fiduciary investment advice to high net worth clients. Now, fiduciary is not what's happening on the radio. We can't give fiduciary advice on the radio because we don't know everybody that's listening. And that's kind of the definition of fiduciary is you really need to know who you're talking to and make the advice specific to them in their best interest. But what we are doing on the radio is educational material. Hopefully we can clear up some of the cloudiness of what in the world's going on in the market these days or in the economy in general. Uh, You want to do the next disclosure? Oh, wait, I, I missed one part of that. The, just because the personal wealth coach was is an SEC-registered investment advisory firm, the SEC doesn't give us any approval in that at all. Zero. The government doesn't do that. They are simply the regulatory authority. We have uh, the information that we give on this radio program. Even though it is not fiduciary advice, it's information, it's educational has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable. I love you. I said it. We deem to be reliable. You did it. But we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of such information. I love that. It's the only time I get to say things like You get that. to say it all the time. You you practice it in your sleep. You you uh, you talk about deeming and not deeming. And maybe there was a time before we had the disclosures that you didn't say it very often. But you say it with so much uh, glee in your voice this time. We could we could throw another one in there. Past performance, no guarantee of future returns. Shares may be higher or lower when bought or then sold. Close cover before striking. Unauthorized personnel only beyond this point. Right. Yes. Makes perfectly good sense to me. So we generally start the program after the disclosures are done talking about the market. So what happened this week? Well, we forgot one thing. Oh, what was it? You're Jake and I'm Jeff. Oh, yeah. And you- can contact us during the radio program 
via email at either jeff at tpwc.com or jake at tpwc.com. And we will endeavor, I see I can use another fancy word, we will endeavor to address your questions or comments on the air. Sounds great. What happened in the market? That's a good question. What happened in the market? B500 stock index, otherwise affectionately known as SPX, was a little bit depressed this week and actually managed to fall about uh, 3.3%. And it closed at 3714.2. Now, I know that most people quote the Dow, but we don't quote the Dow because it's only 30 stocks and it's not necessarily representative of the market. The S&P 500 may not represent the market, but it's a lot bigger and it represents more of the market. Um, the drop was attributed by traders to the decline, the, the announcement that everybody was expecting, but still the market reacted to it from the Commerce Department that the GDP of the United States, the gross domestic product of the United States declined 3.5% in 2020. That's their first estimate, by the way, and it will be subject to at least three revisions as we go forward, but people won't pay much attention to them. Um, then the Bureau of Economic Analysis, which is part of the Commerce Department, gave us an official notification that in December for the second month in a row, the U.S. consumer spending was down. Now that's significant because normally consumer spending in December goes up a lot. They're saying, nope, went down this year, went down in 2020, went down in November as well. And since our economy is basically runs on about two thirds, two thirds of the gross domestic product of the United States is based on consumer spending. That's big news. Uh, so the standard, the standard Poor's 500, the SPX is down 1.11% for the month, but still up a whopping 16% since the end of no, October, beginning of November, basically since the election. The real surprise, having been around a few years, was that with that bad news that we got, and we got some other bad news too, the decline was so small. Historically, having the worst GDP since 1946 and a loss of 3.5% is the worst drop in GDP since 1946, would have sent the stock market into a tailspin. Instead, it only fell 3.5%, about as much as GDP. So the bull market is still underway. And let's see what happened with you know, some there's some interesting news for those of us who think a little longer term. The Treasury yield curve is very important. Uh, last year, not 2020, in 2019, it was saying, hey, there's a bear market coming, there's a there's a down market coming. And sure enough, one came. And you say, how could the Treasury bill and Treasury bonds predict the arrival of COVID? No, they didn't, but they said we're set up for a bear market. And it came, and the, the predictive ability of the Treasury yield curve is pretty uh, legendary. Uh, but the Treasury yield curve actually got more steep this week, even though the yes, even though the ten-year. Let me get my tongue untangled here. The uh, the ten-year U.S. Treasury note fell just a little bit. It it fell one percent of its total yield to one point zero six four percent, but it's still above the one percent line. The interesting thing is over the last, uh, let's see, since the beginning of the year, let me see how long. In January alone, the 30-year Treasury bond, which is at the far end of the yield curve, is up 11.35% and now yields 1.827%.
In other words, the, the treasury curve is getting steeper. And the steeper the treasury curve is, the more the more the bond market is predicting that the economy will grow. Oil rose just oil rose just under half a percent for the week. It's up nearly eight percent for January. So what what's the message that we're getting from the bond market and the oil market is that in the future the economy will be a lot better than it is today. Now, when you get the reverse of that, when you get an inverted yield curve and oil is dropping and the market's going up, then there is some risk of a sudden drop in the market when the when the stock market is out of touch with reality. But we're not seeing that right now. Well, parts of the stock market are absolutely out of touch with reality. And that kind of leads us into the biggest question of the week. Are you ready for us to switch over to this? With the caveat. What's your caveat? Despite all the money that's gone into GameStop and AMC, which is not making the headlines, but still being in play, as it's called, these are such tiny pieces of the market that they are insignificant when we look at the broad averages. It's just, it's just, they're almost non-existent in moving the averages around. Right. Okay. Well, we can say some some funny things about it though in the process. It is it this this is big in the news and it's causing a lot of people a lot of anxiety, a lot of confusion. What's going That's, on out there? Um, that, is, that is what? I'm sorry. It is true. Okay. So what's going on here? Well, I'm gonna start with some concepts. So first I'm gonna say what we're talking about. GameStop, specifically GameStop, but a series of other companies as well that are kind of old school companies that don't have a lot of prospects for the future. GameStop in particular. Do you guys, do you, do you remember GameStop? I do. You Ga- should go. Yeah, we, we're, we're gamers in our family. We like to go and play, we like to play computer games. And though I haven't done it in a long time, we used to do it a lot. So GameStop was a series of stores basically in malls. There were some in strip centers too, but the vast, vast majority of these stores were in malls. And you could go and physically buy your game there. Those of you who are listening, probably half of you know this and the other half do not. You don't go and physically buy games anymore. You download them. And you download them. What's that? Wait a minute. A few people still go and buy games. Very, very, very few because most computers don't even come with DVD readers anymore. How do you get it on your machine from this physical copy? Well, they line, they've been lining up to buy the new game consoles. Yeah. I've seen when that happened. But they, at, Game- at GameStop, and that's one of the places that you can go and buy the machine that will play the game. But they used to make their money from selling the games. And the consoles aren't purchased there enough because they have enough other online places so that their, their income has been in the red. By when I say in the red, it's been, their sales growth has been down. Their, uh, their numbers are in pure loss mode. The last time they made any profit at all was in 2017, and it was a small profit. Since then, they've been losing money hand over fist. And the pandemic's made it even worse because people aren't going out and buying the the consoles there anymore. So this company 
is not doing well. That's putting it lightly. The, the executives are still excited about it. They want to try to figure some way of making this work. It's a publicly traded company. It used to be a well-known publicly traded company. All right. So one of the things that um, riskier investors, ones, this is a kind of investment that we actively advise against doing, but there's still a group of people that do this. They, they provide some liquidity for the market. They do us some strange behaviors here. So in order to get talking about what the strange behaviors are, I'm going to give some very quick and hopefully simple definitions. There's jargon used on Wall Street, and Wall Street is part of the jargon. Most trading isn't on Wall Street in New York. It's all over the place. But okay, so if you want to own something or you have purchased something, and somebody asks you, are you long or short on this company? If you think it's a good company and you've either already purchased it or you would if you had the money to do it, you would say, I'm long on that company. Okay. If you don't like the company, you say you're short on the company. You can also say, I shorted the company, which means I sold it, or I longed the company, which means I bought it. There is a way you can sell a company without actually owning it. This is the area that gets into danger zone. This is called a naked short. More jargon here. That sounds like the wrong thing to do at the beach. They'd go naked shorts. Um, but that's not what it means. It means that you borrowed the shares of the company so that you could sell it without owning it. You owe those shares back just like any other loan. Here, let, say it's uh, give me, hey, can I borrow 10 of your shares? I want to sell them. I'll give you some money for it. This is called a premium. Here you go. You have some money. So people that have shares of a company that isn't necessarily doing that well, but they want to make a little bit of income off of it, they will loan out their shares with the understanding that those shares get given back to them at the end of the contract. So it's like any other loan. It's just for a share rather than money. It's not an interest expense like you would get a loan on money. It's called a premium expense. It's the same thing. So people are, have gone out and some very, very wealthy people and some not so wealthy people have said, GameStop has no prospects for the future. Now that's their opinion and they hold it strongly enough to say, I'm going to borrow the shares of this company and I'm going to sell it without owning it because it, it's going to drop and I'll buy the shares down when they're down below where they are now. It's going to drop and it's probably going to go out of business soon. So I'll just swoop in and buy it at the pennies on the dollar instead of at $17 a share. And then I'll give the share back to the person I loaned it from and I'll make all this money. Well, that sounds great as long as the market causes that stock to go down. There is an unlimited risk on the upside when you're a naked short seller. Because if that price of the company goes up, you still have to buy that share back to give it back to the person you borrowed it from. Now, in reality, you don't know who that person is. You somehow got the loan through whatever trading platform you used, otherwise known as a broker-dealer. And you have to put up collateral when you're doing this. So say you want to sell $50,000 of a given company, but you don't want to own it and you want to borrow everything to do it. Well, you still have to 
give some money as collateral. This is called Reg T. And Reg T is set by the Federal Reserve. What is the Federal Reserve doing in the stock market? They're the ones in charge of big loans. The Congress and the president have given them the role of policing the loaning that takes place in the country. Okay, so the Reg T requirement is if you want to sell $50,000 of a stock you don't own, you've got to have $25,000 in collateral. It doesn't have to be cash. You can use another stock to do it with, but you have to have the collateral. Okay, so people have been borrowing money or borrowing stock to sell GameStop. <coughs> and a group of people noticed something. There's a number that's reported on how much as a percentage of the company has been sold short and has to be bought back. So this is kind of a trick. It's not a very nice trick where you know that a whole bunch of people have to buy these shares back because they've already borrowed them. They've already sold them. And if enough people have already borrowed and sold, but they haven't bought back, you can say, well, this is going to cause the market to go up on this stock because they have to buy the stock. So let's take a timeout. What causes the price to go up or down on a stock? It's an auction market. So more people bidding on the price saying, I want this thing, causes the price to go up. More people selling it causes the price to go down. So the short sellers, these naked short sellers, have come in and sold it, and the price has dropped. Well, then some folks on Reddit, for those of you that don't know what Reddit is, it's kind of an old school message board that's been um, souped up with better technology. So you can have a subject, it's called a thread on Reddit, on almost anything. And most of the memes that we've all enjoyed on social media or not enjoyed, as the case may be, came out of Reddit. These people are uploading stuff and changing pictures and uploading those and having a good time. It's also part of the big uh, volatility in cryptocurrencies because these on these message, message threads, they talk about buying and selling the thing and how everybody needs to buy it because they bought it so we can get the price to go up and everybody will be rich. Okay. There was a thread on Reddit that was talking about GameStop in particular. And I'm not going to say the name of the thread. You'll understand later why I'm skipping that. Uh, it's been published in enough places that you can actually go and look it up. They're talking up this stock and then what they're saying is that this stock, it doesn't matter what it's doing. They're saying this on the thread. It doesn't matter what it's doing. People have to buy this back. So I'm going to buy the price up and they have to buy it anyway. And they'll have to buy it at a higher price than I bought it if enough people jump in and do this. Well, just as a side note, that is the definition of market manipulation. When you talk up a stock, it's different than when you talk up Bitcoin. Bitcoin doesn't do anything but sit there and hopefully somebody else will buy it at a higher price. A stock is actually ownership and what is supposed to be a for-profit enterprise. And people should be looking at this for-profit enterprise. If you started the business and you're saying, this is, this is my baby, you should be buying and selling that thing and giving advice or encouragement to other people to buy and sell it based on the fundamentals of the company, what the earnings are, what the uh, 
uh, assets are, the decisions being made by the executives, all that good stuff. That's not what the Reddit thread was about. The Reddit thread said, hey, this is easy money. You can jump in here and buy it. If they didn't post about it, it would be completely legal. You can jump in there and buy that thing as much as you want if you're not posting about it. Soon as you post about it, you get into market manipulation territory. And those of you that remember the time around Enron and Arthur Anderson, and there were a bunch of very clear um, interpretations of existing laws. You can't talk up a stock to make it worth more only. You can only talk up a stock if you're talking about how good the stock actually is. Uh, and to, to kind of give you why that might be, it's, it, it is, this is one of the, the, maybe the biggest misconceptions about Wall Street. The way the laws are written is to create a fair and orderly trading structure. Um, by fair and orderly, it doesn't mean they're stopping people from racing their car into the parking lot to run inside and buy something and kind of give a, a physical purchase analogy. It doesn't mean that they don't have big, big rushes on stocks and so on. They're supposed to stop the stuff that we see on Black Friday so often of the, the fist fights over the Tickle Me Elmo, uh, the people clubbing each other over the head. In the stock market, that happens too. And this is the very definition of that. They are attacking one group of people to take their money rather than because they expect this company to be worth something. So the regulators say, hey, that's not fair trade. You're not being fair with each other. This is, you, you certainly can go in and, and have better information than other people. You certainly can go in and have more assets to buy things with. But as soon as you're targeting other investors rather than purchasing the investment for its own value, you're starting into bad territory. And when you start telling people to do it with you, you're breaking the law. Okay, so they've talked up GameStop. And the shares of GameStop went from around uh, $17 a share less than a month ago. Well, let, let's see. The 52-week the range in the last year, it's been down to $2.57 a, a share. It is now trading at $325 a share. So if you think about the range of differences there from $17 at the beginning of January to $325 now, and it peaked up at $483, this is just talking up the price because they knew other people had borrowed the shares and needed to buy it back. Well, the Reddit thread got shut down. And Reddit didn't say why they shut it down. They just shut it down. And Reddit always says, hey, we had to shut this down. This was white supremacists or uh, Antifa's making their moves over there. And you can check in their press releases. They have lots and lots of threads that they shut down. They didn't say anything about why they shut this thread down, which means there's an active investigation. That means that the SEC is involved in this. That was pure market manipulation. So just a heads up, this is what is called, a, in its classic, a short squeeze. The people that borrowed shares to sell them 
were naked short, and they're being squeezed for all their assets. People are buying the stock not because they think the company's going to do well. It won't. But because they know that they can squeeze as much of the assets out of the people that naked shorted as they can. They're just going to squeeze all the money out. Here's the dangerous part. There are a lot of people that have jumped onto this with them. And this is very similar to a Ponzi scheme in this scenario. The people that get out first are going to make a lot of money. And the people that think that, you know, hey, this has done great. And I don't know why I bought it, but it was going up and it's in the news. Those are the people that, that are left at the end of this with a lot of losses. And the SEC is concerned about this. We're concerned about it because it burns people sometimes for the rest of their life about getting into the market. They think it's rigged because they got in and a lot of people made money and somehow they lost a lot of money. Not understanding why a company's value is rising is dangerous if you're investing in that company. Just kind of as as much underlying there as, as possible. Now, I'm going to get into some of the politics of it. One of the major naked short sellers was a hedge fund or is a hedge fund. And this particular hedge fund is not well known for its brilliance. It's kind of an old school hedge fund and, and they, they're not thinking that other people will target them at all. And hedge funds generally, they do like to target each other. Short squeezes between hedge funds are pretty normal. Well, this one, they're, they're a small player. They're shorting uh, GameStop, they think this is a no-brainer. This company's probably not even going to be around ne- this time next year. I'm going to make a lot of money on this. Well, they got short-squeezed. They got short-squeezed hard. The folks that uh, the individual investors have basically put this hedge fund to a near bankruptcy state, so an- another couple of hedge funds had to come in and and bail them out by buying big chunks of them. Um, Citadel and uh, Point. Seven two, I think, is that that's the Cohen hedge fund came in and and bought up this hedge fund uh, because it was going under. It was about to go bankrupt because the go back to this. You know, remember that collateral you have to put up when you're borrowing borrowing shares to sell them. You have to put up at least half of the value as collateral. If the market moves in the wrong direction on you, it starts going up instead of down. If you want, if you still say, "Hey, this stock's eventually going to go away," the broker dealer, the the trading company that you're going through, whether it's Robinhood or Pershing or or, or J.P. Morgan or any of the names that people know when they're E Trade, TD Ameritrade, all of those those are all broker dealers. Any of those are going to say, "Hey, the the value that you owe on that loan just jumped." You borrowed twenty. You borrowed fifty thousand dollars of the stock. You sold it. Well, now in order to pay that stock back, you may need to come up with a couple of million dollars because the short squeeze has happened. To a small investor, that's it. They're done. You can't get out of that. You are stuck. You don't have enough assets to sell. This is why Robinhood had to stop trading on the platform because people were buying. GameStop uh, and shorting GameStop uh, using options. Uh, Robinhood has 
definitely allowed options into the into the mainstream and options are a scary scary world so they had to stop trading because they didn't have the collateral at Robinhood to continue and and you say wait a minute at Robinhood Robinhood has to borrow money too when they're loaning things so they get it from other other places what do you mean they have to borrow money too okay let's kind of you're borrowing the shares, $50,000 of GameStop to sell it. Well, where did that come from? Well, you got it from Robinhood or whatever broker dealer that you're getting it from. Where did they get it? They didn't have it in their pockets. Maybe they did. Maybe they were making a market in it and they owned a bunch of the company. But GameStop didn't really have a market maker. It wasn't traded enough. So where, where did they get it? Well, they went to other broker dealers and borrowed it from them. Their clients, their clients got paid as well because, you know, get a little premium for having borrowed it. So this spread all the way around. And those broker dealers are calling Robinhood and saying, hey, you got to come up with some collateral here. You've got a loan to us and you can't pay it back right now. And this is true across a lot of other areas. Go ahead. You got a loan from us, not to us. Yeah, it's owed to us. Sorry. You got a loan that you owe us back. And you don't have the collateral. So Robinhood on Friday had to go out and get a billion dollars of cash from borrowing from different banks. That, that money is low interest right now, but it still costs them some money to do it. A lot of the broker dealers just said, you can't borrow money or stock in these particular companies right now. Why? Why? And then there's a lot of people out there in the libertarian world, which I'm part of, uh, I don't agree with this because they don't understand what they're talking about. They're saying, why are these broker dealers shutting us down? They're trying to protect the hedge fund. No, they're trying to protect their clients and themselves. They're required to do this. If you borrowed to buy this thing and, and then you sold it, and then the price jumps up within five minutes and say you're at the 50% requirement, and we'll go back to that. You, you've got $25,000 of a stock out there that's a different stock. You used it as collateral to buy $50,000 of GameStop and sell it. Well, now you've sold it. You got $50,000 in cash. Nice. Well done. You got to pay some of that as premium. You got $25,000 of that other stock. That's collateral. You got $75,000 in your account. Nice. You can make take that back or you can you can buy the company back when it's low and take the profit and pay back the loan and you made some money. But when the stock price goes up, in order to buy the share back, if it's if you bought it at 17 and it's now at 325 and you got to pay it back at 325, they've got to call you and say, hey, you've got to increase your collateral in here. You don't have enough to cover this loan. What do you want to sell? What, what do you want to sell in your positions to make this back? And that means they have to lock in their losses. So it can thoroughly bankrupt small investors. It, it bankrupted, or in all, all senses, except that they didn't have to go bankrupt because someone purchased them, a major hedge fund, a major stodgy hedge fund, hedge fund but a hedge fund. This is the definition of what you're not supposed to do in the Wall Street uh, it's kind of like um, w- when you talk it up, 
it's kind of like what they won't allow you to do in Vegas. If you find a broken machine and you tell everybody, hey, there's a broken machine over here, everybody use it, you can get in trouble for that. And that's what's going on here. There's a broken machine and that they're not supposed to manipulate this market, and they were. And then they're hyping that up. More people are jumping in. The people that will wind up hurt on this, and this I can say this based on history. I don't know how exactly GameStop will work out, but how they've worked out up till now in the past on the short squeezes on companies that are in major loss near bankruptcy is that the last people that got in, the people that jump in and say, hey, this is great. I'm going to try to make as much money as everybody else has on this are the ones that lose all the money because they are the ones that are buying from the people that got in early that are selling. Um, and I think I've, I've covered this subject fairly well. If you've got more questions on it, uh, please email us and, and we'll cover it some more. Well, I got some more to say about it. You talked about the shorts a lot. Mm-hmm. Shorts have pretty much been squeezed out at this point. Some of them are probably in deep financial trouble. Well, the short, the percent of float on short is still 121%. But the people who are actually buying the stock are getting the money from someplace. Maybe they're pulling it out of savings. Maybe they're pulling it out of a college fund. And in some cases, and we have a question on this, uh, they could be doing things like not like taking out a mortgage or taking out a home loan That's right. to buy market. This is extremely dangerous. It's important to recognize that GameStop, AMC, and all of those companies, all these tiny companies that are losing money, that are easily manipulated, um, are subject to being manipulated in the market and the price goes up but inevitably throughout history there's been a very consistent thing that's happened when the price comes down it comes down very suddenly it comes down with a huge volume of trade and it's almost impossible to get a sell order in when that happens i mean it happened in 1987 to the entire market yeah and in the 1990s to many 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 ipos and it's happened this week across a lot of platforms gamestop shut down E-Trade. TD Ameritrade had uh, disturbances in its ability to trade. Robinhood was not able to trade. There was too much activity in the stock, so nobody could sell when they wanted to. And uh, GameStop, uh, AMC, a series of others, purchase and sale orders were canceled for the clients without their consent. They had to be. They had to shut down the trading of the stock. And, and when I say they had to, why is that? It's very much like having a riot on Black Friday inside a Walmart. It doesn't mean that you can't buy from Walmart anymore, but you got to clear the store. You, this is, there are people bludgeoning each other right now. There's blood on the, on the ground. Get out. Everybody out. Everybody out. We're going to do this orderly. We're ready to open the doors again. Uh, you're going to come in in a single file line and you're going to be polite. Um, this is something most people don't remember, uh, even though we have never forget bumper stickers still around these days. Uh, after 9-11, the market was closed for two weeks. And then when we reopened the market, we erased a partial day of trading. September 11th was a, was a market day and the market was open when the attack took place. That day was erased from trading history. We started over as if that day hadn't happened. That's 
to make sure that we had orderly trades. Now, there were a lot of people that said, hey, I made a lot of money that day or I lost a lot of money that day. Too bad. It's gone. That is part of making sure that people are not cheating each other. And when you combine up to, to, to take people's livelihoods away, that's considered cheating. If you're, if you're making money because you were better on a trade, that's fine. I just want to emphasize, if you're tempted to get in on one of these speculative runs, it's a good way to lose a lot of money. You yeah. may think you get in on it. You may think that uh, it'll be cool. But when they go down, and then and throughout history, they've all gone down. Stocks of a company tend to return to the actual value of the company. And if the company is not making a profit or is making a very small profit, the stock price is going to be very low. And it will return. I can I can make a very solid forecast that there's about a 99.999% probability that game stock will crash. It's just a matter of when. Right. And you know when. The, you, the people who are manipulating the market will know when. They will probably trigger it. But it, all it takes is one major owner to start selling. And everybody's thinking it's high enough and they'll start bailing out of it. The SEC announces, for instance, the SEC comes out and says anybody who got involved and pump what's called pumping up the stock. By the way, the 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 practice is called pump and dump, and it was done in the 1920s before there was legal regulation. Very common thing where people get together and talk up a stock and publish things that are positive about the price of the stock. They used and, to do it in the newspapers. Right. They forced the price of the stock up, and when it hit a certain point, they sold. Now, the 44% drop that we saw in GameStop the other day a lot of people made a tremendous amount of money, and there was enough buying power to come back in and push the stock back up again. But at some point, there will be an avalanche of sells. When yeah. the last buyer has bought, and eventually there will be a last buyer, there will be an avalanche of sells. And at that point, don't be surprised if you own GameStop. You put in your sell order, and it's not executed till the next day. Right. So just to give you an example of the distortion here, GameStop is being valued right now on the market as more valuable than General Motors. It's being valued by the market at about $22.6 billion. It owns and has assets. The net assets that it owns are $332 million. That's it. That is the value, the underlying value of the company with no earnings. They're losing money. It's worth $332 million if you look at what the structure of what they own is the contracts that they have to sell certain things and so on, the amount of cash they have on hand. The market's valuing them at $22.6 billion. So that's like 70 times the value of the company. Yeah, it, it is just phenomenally overvalued at this point. There's, there's, And nobody is making any claim that this, the company is worth that much. It's simply a matter of put, they're strictly manipulating the stock price. Right. And getting involved in this is just a good way to lose a lot of money. This happens, and I want to emphasize something here. It happened in the 1990s. It happened in the 2020s. It happened in 1987. Uh, it's happened over and over again through history, and it always works out the same way. And the best thing to do is stay away from it, and we need to do some commercials. We do, and we have some com some questions uh, for after we come back as well. If you would like to ask us questions, there's email addresses that we will do our best to answer. Jeff at tpwc.com. That's Tango Papa Whiskey Charlie or thepersonalwealthcoach.com or Jake at tpwc.com. 
And we're going to play some commercials and be back on the other side with more of The Personal Wealth Coach. And we're back with more of The Personal Wealth Coach. This is Jake McClure. And on the line with me, I have... Jeff McClure. Together, we are bald. But together, we are also The Personal Wealth Coach. Well, we're part of The Personal Wealth Coach. That, yes. we, we have a team of 10 employees who I wouldn't say assist us so much as tell us what we need to do True, and, and ensure that we do it. Um, so actually there's what, 12 people? Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe more. I haven't counted recently. Well, 12 is a good number. So we'll say 12. Sounds good. Uh, we'll say 12 people. Give or take one, one or five. <laughs> <laughs> I need to spend some time figuring out how many people we have at the firm now. We need to, it's hard to, it's hard to count them because most of them aren't there. The most of them are at home. And yeah. Any given. yeah, it's a remote thing. We have a question though from John. He's may, we, maybe our most faithful questioner. We also have a question that we haven't fully addressed from Dave. I don't have that question. So you go ahead. I, I have that question. Okay. Dave had a question that he's he had two he had two questions actually. One of them he's concerned about people who are thinking about bailing out of the market because they think it's going to crash. We've seen a lot of that, and that's that's by the way a strong indicator the market's probably not going to crash. When we see a lot of people wanting to bail out of the market because they think it's too high, that is an indication that there's a lot of people who haven't bought yet, and it indicates the market's probably got a ways to go. That doesn't mean we don't think it's overpriced, but the market has a history of getting overpriced and then getting a lot more overpriced before it has the crash. Alan Greenspan suggested the market may be overpriced in 1994, but it was 2000 before it really acted like it was overpriced. There's, um, there's also an argument. It's not overpriced. And I, I can see both sides of the argument. We're just in a very unusual time when interest rates are this low, the market is paying a higher dividend than, than the treasury bond, the 10-year treasury note is paying, that's an indication that the market is low. But it's whether it's high or low isn't the argument. The, market, the question is whether to bail out of it. What we found in study after study shows is market time, it doesn't work. It's just that simple. Now, the second question Dave had was about someone who was going to buy a house for cash as opposed to taking a low-rate mortgage and investing the cash in the market. That's a hard one. Um, we generally say with interest rates below with interest rates, when you buy a house below probable inflation, in essence, somebody is paying you to borrow money. And if you've got a long time horizon and you're comfortable with making the payments, um, then that's probably a good idea to get a mortgage rather than depleting your cash reserves. On the other hand, if you just want to buy the house and have the house because you don't want a mortgage, don't decide not to buy the house. If you can afford it, you have plenty of money and it's not a problem for you and you want to buy the house for cash. Don't decide not to buy the cash, pay cash for the house so you can put the money in the market. Borrowing a lot of money to put it in the market is a bad idea. Want to say that again? Borrow, you can say it too. Borrowing a lot of money to put it in the market is a bad idea. I think borrowing any money is a bad idea. It's legal in certain contexts. Technically, it is not legal to take a big loan from your house and put it in the market. Most, most people don't know that, and a lot of people do it without realizing that they're breaking rules, but you're really not supposed to take a loan and invest it. And there is a really good reason why. In 1929, when the stock market crashed, 
the part of the reason for the crash was over leveraged. People had borrowed a lot of money to invest it. And when the the cash shortage hit, they had to sell money from the stock. They had to sell from the stock market companies that were good, companies that were bad to pay back their debt, which caused good companies to crash as well as bad companies. And, and that's not, kind of the underlying factor there. We're not suggesting in any way this is 1929. This no. is kind of 1929. What happened in 1929, and it's happened several times through history, is the market kept going up after the economy started down. The economy hasn't started down. Yes, I'll agree that we, and we need to talk about this some more, the GDP for last year, for 2020, was a negative 3.5%, but that's history. Yeah, we're actually in recovery. The last quarter, the fourth quarter, we had a 1% gain in GDP, which annualizes 4% growth in GDP. And we have every reason to believe that the downside in the GDP was caused by one major issue, and that was the pandemic. We now have vaccines. We have, and, and that leads us kind of in, so, um, so it's up to you what you want to do with your house, whether you want to keep the money in the bank or buy the, take the money out of the bank and buy the house for cash. Uh, from a long-term perspective, with interest rates this low on mortgage, it's not a bad idea to have a mortgage, but don't throw the stock market in as an alternative. Yeah. Uh, if you have cash and you want to put it in the market, it shouldn't be because the market's doing so well. You should, this be, should be part of a long-term goal that you say, I'm going to need income off of this money at some point in the future, or I would like to have this money appreciate long-term. If the only reason you're making the decision to take the money out of the bank and put it in the market is because of how well the market has done recently, that's the very definition of buying high, the opposite of selling low, two things you don't want to be doing. And by the way, Dave, you do get a bonus for providing show prep. He wanted to know if he got a bonus for providing show prep. Oh, thanks, Dave. And then we move over to, you want to take John's sure. question? Um, John as he usually does, sent a picture in of an article in the Wall Street Journal as well as a question. Good news on savings rate. Has the public got religion on increasing their financial security or is this largely due to COVID shutdowns and will revert back to borrow and spend when we get to the other side? This is maybe, maybe I am the best person to answer this. Um, behavior changes with trauma. How do I know this? Behavioral finance is my forte. This is the area that I study. Um, and people changed their behavior for the rest of their lives if they lived through the Great Depression. And we've all known people, hopefully, that, that changed their behavior. You know, this, she, she lived in the Depression, so she never threw away napkins. That was my grandma. Um, Never threw away napkins, the little salt and pepper shaker things that you got with your throwaway uh, plasticware at you know barbecue places. She had a drawer full of those things. And it's because you never know when it's all going to go away. What we had with the pandemic will absolutely change people's behavior. We don't know how much yet. But yes, the savings rate is much better now than it was pre-pandemic. There's a lot of stuff coming out about this. We've actually talked about it to some extent during the entirety of the pandemic. That savings has just jumped up. There's a lot of cash on hand. Um, right now, the savings in uh, as of the end of December, and this is from uh, the Commerce Department, 
uh, personal savings. This is household spending and saving. Personal saving is at uh, per month is the two point three eight trillion dollars. Before the pandemic, back in February of this of twenty twenty, a normal amount that was going into savings for for that time period was one point four trillion or one point three trillion. We're up to monthly money coming in, how much is spent, how much goes to taxes, how much goes to services, 2.38 trillion. Now, at the beginning of the lockdown, it was 6.41 trillion in in one month. So this was in April and people said, whoa, we got stimulus checks coming in and we're not going to spend money. So we saw service spending drop drastically. Before the pandemic, it was running about 10.3%. Now it's about 9.6. So that's why we're seeing companies hurt. There's a lot more saving, a lot more paying down of debts. Uh, Is it permanent? And that's really the question. Have we gotten religion? A lot of us have. Some of us are going to go back to borrow and spend. Well, what we have is a very unusual quantity of cash being held both by corporations and by individuals. And it's the highest since we've been keeping records on such things. Yeah. And we can also say that there's an awful lot of that cash sitting there because people are scared about the pandemic and they are hunkering down, including corporations. The result is that economists and these two economists right here agree. There's a very, very, very high probability when this pandemic is brought under control and becomes history, which probably will happen this year, probably around the middle of the year. People will start to spend that money. Corporations will start to spend that money, and there will be a huge influx of things bought, things built, things created, things invested in, and that's what the market is high about. Right, and then there is a tendency when this sort of thing happens. It's never been on this scale before to cause some inflation, but that inflation has a tendency, if we're not careful, to have a flip side. Um, we had. Inflation at the beginning of uh, the 1920s, we had a a lot of inflation because people hoarded cash for a while during a pandemic. Interesting. Um, There wasn't a lot of safeguarding done back then. The Federal Reserve was not anything like it is today. It wasn't anything. Um, And it led to deflation a decade later, massive deflation. Because people were so terrified of the inflation that they saw at the beginning of the 1920s. So what do you do to backstop against inflation? Answer, not gold. I know that's the, the go-to answer a lot of people have. We're almost out of time. The, the, a well-diversified market portfolio is how do you protect against inflation. If you would like to contact us off the air, uh, we have voicemail late waiting locally at 254-947-1111. You can reach that same voicemail at 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can email us at jeff at tpwc.com or jake at tpwc.com. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. Until next hour, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.